This is Against All Enemies, a show about threats to American democracy. Political violence is on the rise. An alarming percentage of Americans believe they may have to take up arms against their neighbors. Some are already doing so. Every weekday, Against All Enemies highlights the activities of extremist organizations and their enablers. Our goal is to educate, not to alarm. The threats are real. But if we know what we're up against, together we can beat them. My guest today is Mike Breen, the president and CEO of Human Rights First, an organization that challenges domestic extremism by bringing to bear its expertise in research policy, law, and technology to uncover the movement, expose its tactics, and uphold human rights. Mike is also a fellow vet and will be a regular guest on this show. Welcome to Against All Enemies. Thanks, Ken. It's good to be here. Congratulations on the show. Mike, thank you. When, when most Americans think of an organization with international reach focusing on human rights, I'm betting they don't typically imagine that organization tackling extremism at home. Why is that a priority for Human Rights First? Well, we've been an organization that's been the forefront of standing against various forms of, of hate uh, against vulnerable communities around the world for a long time. So that's part of our, our history. Uh, and that includes you know, opposing the rise of anti-Semitism in places like Hungary and elsewhere in Eastern Europe. Uh, it includes fighting uh, against anti-Muslim bigotry in the United States and in Europe for a long time. Um, but I think the deeper, the deeper truth that drew us to this challenge is that human rights is impossible without democracy. Um, democracy is the system of government that says everybody's voices you know, matter. And that says that the individual is is a sacred part of the, of the collective whole, right? It's a society based on the idea that everybody's voice counts uh, and a society based on the idea that the rule of law protects us all, no matter how unpopular we are. That's also at the heart of the human rights idea. Uh, and so when we saw that under threat in our own country in a way that I think based on international experience, you know, you can do pattern recognition, having worked in a lot of places and around the world and you see societies kind of fall apart. Um, and you look at that and you say, okay, if I recognize these same dynamics in play in my own backyard, uh, I can't continue to work internationally if my own house might be on fire. I, I got to step up and do something about it. And so that's the decision that we just, we made. The white supremacist strain that infects groups like the Oath Keepers and Three Percenters has a long history, but it has a new valence today in a country that is going to be majority minority. Uh, I can't remember the year, but it's right around the corner. I think it's a great thing. But to these groups, it is an existential threat. How has their how has their strategy and tactics evolved from you know a time when they were putting down uh, minority communities to now when they when they feel like they are fighting for their very survival? How is the the violence ramped up? How has their rhetoric changed? Yeah, Ken, I think it fits an international pattern. You know, it fits a pattern we've seen in our own history in the U.S. and that we see around the world. Um, and as you say, you know, it happens when people feel like they will be unable to keep power through normal politics. And so they've got to go to politics by other means, which is, of course, how, you know, Clausewitz supposedly defined war, right? That's, that's when you tip into violence. Um, and it fits, a, it fits a pretty standard pattern. Um, you try to set yourself up as the champions 
of some in-group. Usually it's defined religiously or ethnically. In the U.S., it's, it's white supremacy. You say everyone's out to get you and we're, we're your only defenders and champions. The government uh, won't protect you anymore. Um, in some ways, you raise the fear that, you know, if we're not in charge anymore, we're going to be treated the way that we treated others in the past. So the wheel will turn and we'll be on the bottom. And so there's a bit of an admission there <laughs> as part of that pitch. And then you try to ramp up the level of threat that everybody feels, uh, because even if nobody likes you now, uh, the more terrifying the environment becomes and the more violent you can make it, the more people will kind of turn to you for protection. Um, and this is straight up the Al Qaeda playbook in Iraq, you know, from 2004 to 2006, 2007, they provoke a civil war with a Shia majority, um, and then position themselves as the only defenders, uh, of their Sunni brethren who they of course put in this mess in the first place, uh, by escalating violence. Um, it's a pretty standard tactic. I mean, you can look back at how, you know, a whole host of insurgencies have started and it's, it's usually by ramping up the level of violence and then saying we're the only one who can protect you. Uh, so in a sense, you're an arsonist out there selling fire insurance uh, and that's how insurgents do it. Um, and that's, that's what we see now. I think that AQI, the Al-Qaeda in Iraq example, is, is really interesting because it, it speaks to the, the relative strength of, of these groups demographically. You had the Sunni minority in Iraq rising up and attacking in a, in a um, asymmetric way, the Shia majority. And I just find it really insightful that you use that as, as the example for what's evolving here, because you have a white supremacist minority now that is picking fights with the, the much larger American populace that doesn't want that, that is reflective and valuing of diversity. Um, and the interesting thing from a historical perspective is that the white supremacist movement today and groups like Oath Keepers and Proud Boys as the inheritors of that are explicitly anti-democratic. I mean, they feel like democracy is actually a threat in a way that the even the KKK didn't. The KKK's method for retaining power was through the ballot box and controlling that uh, in a violent, horrible way. But you have groups today that are just dispensing all together with the pretense of democracy and, and saying we need a strong man. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think it's worth you know, two quick points because I, I, I completely agree with you. I think on the on the Iraq piece, um, we it's easy to forget, you know, from the American side of the conversation, it was really hard uh, for Al Qaeda in Iraq and other groups to, to get that civil war going. I mean, you had a country where most people you know, said, are you Sunni or Shia, you know, and, and Kurds aside and other ethnic groups aside, most Iraqis said, I don't want anything to do with that question. Uh, you know, 30% of the country was, was mixed Sunni Shia couples with children that had, had mixed heritage and all kinds of things like that. So you had to kill a lot of people and terrorize a lot of people before am I Sunni or Shia became the life and death question of who am I as an Iraqi. Um, and, and it's a dark road to get there. We're, we're not there. Uh, you know, we haven't had that level of, of, of sort of siege level attacks on our, on our communities yet. And I, I hope we never do. Um, but most societies are pretty resilient against, you know, 
these are people that want you and I to define ourselves entirely by our gender and skin color and sexual orientation, right? Which neither one of us is going to do easily, (laughs) Um, if ever, right? That's not me. I'm not living in that world. That's that's not who I am as a person. Um, But they sure want me to think about myself that way. Um, The other thing I'd say too is just, you're, you're right about the ballot box thing. And I think you're really right about the democracy thing. One of the, one of the big tells I think is just the way that the anti-democratic extremist movement in the United States has really shifted their rhetoric, even their political rhetoric away from embracing democracy toward things like, well, we're a Republic at heart, or we were founded as a Christian nation, or, you know, it was never really supposed to be majority rule. And the founding fathers feared the democratic mob and you know, the electoral college uh, is is the the only thing protecting our, our our true nation from the scourge of mob rule at the ballot box. And, you know all this all this stuff that it's shocking to hear people running for elected office saying openly. Um, forget that it's historically inaccurate, but but it really is just this attempt to just shave away at at our own understanding of ourselves as a democracy. Um, but when I hear people talking like that, I really hear them telling on themselves because what they're really saying is, you know, I'm not politically popular enough to win in a straight election. So, uh, you know, this is all I've got left. Right. What is Human Rights First doing in the area of misinformation, countering it, providing hard truths to people about these kinds of things? What are your front lines? I mean, our real focus has been you know, primarily on uh preventing what we call and trying to push back on what we call the mainstreaming of this movement, right? Uh, American society, just like every society, we've always had crazy conspiracy theories. We've always had people who insist on their rights to wear Nazi paraphernalia and gather in a town square someplace and annoy everybody. And that's, that's terrible stuff. Um, What we're seeing now is I think unprecedented in recent history is an effort to take these conspiracy theories, these lies, and this, this hate movement mainstream. And there are people in politics and in media and organizations in both of those spaces and in business, other places that are trying to accelerate that movement. Um, and our goal is to push back on that. You know, you want extremism back in the box where it belongs in a free society. Um, and in some ways, uh, you know, for that, you gotta, you gotta use legal tools, but you've also got to be willing to uh, to expose the way that this moves and, and try to counter it. And the place we've really decided to start um, is, you know, very close to your heart, Ken, is, is a lot of work on how this plays out in the veterans and military families and military community. Uh, why are we targeted by extremists, especially for, for recruitment? Um, and the ways in which what's going on in our community of veterans and military family members is really a proxy for a fight about whether extremists get to claim the definition of patriotism. You know, who gets that flag behind you, right? Whose symbol is that? And our view is, unless it's everybody's, in a very deep way, um, you know, we're losing, right? And and you can't let the extremist organizations and the extremist voices claim that flag. And that's what they want more than anything else is to do that. So, So that's the place where we're contesting it. Um, and we've done that through, you know, everything from you know, a bit of legal action, a lot of investigations into how these groups function in the, in the military and veterans community. We advise the January 6th commission and other things like that, but also just exposing uh, some of the ancient roots of these conspiracies. Uh, we released a, a paper recently on how Q called digital soldiers on how QAnon targets the military, but more importantly, in some ways, how they're doing it with multi-thousand-year-old anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. 
uh, with a little bit of new dressing on them. So it's a big fight. Um, we have an organization called Veterans for American Ideals. It's 10,000 veterans strong at this point. Um, and we're putting a lot of time and energy now into thinking about how to build that out into a stronger nationwide chapter structure uh, and, and how to bring more vets into that fold because there've got to be more of us that step up and say in our daily lives and, and with our with our politics, with our activism, in any way we're comfortable, hey, you know, I wore that flag too and it's it, it doesn't mean that to me. Uh, and if you want to try to you know play cosplay with an AR-15 at a peaceful protest and scare your neighbors, and you think that's what military service is all about, uh, sorry, you're not you're not part of the same club I used to be part of, and that, that I'm proud to have been part of. Yeah. Well, Mike, we really look forward to checking in with you every week. How can people, especially the veterans listening, find Veterans for American Ideals? Uh, and are there there are other initiatives you want to direct people towards? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we need lawyers. We need technologists. We have an innovation lab that builds uh, enhanced artificial intelligence and machine learning applications for, for this problem and other human rights challenges. Um, so if you're a technologist with spare time and you're listening to this, we, we'd love to work with you. Um, lawyers, same, and absolutely veterans. Um, if you're a veteran, just, just put veterans for American ideals into the Google machine. Uh, you'll find us really fast and, and, and go ahead and sign up. We'd love to have you with us. Awesome. Mike, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks Ken. Appreciate it.